Well, good morning, everybody. It's a, it's a wonderful privilege and pleasure to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning, and I trust it will encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you. So what I want to talk about this morning is the necessity of turbulence. The necessity of turbulence. And we certainly are living in a turbulent and uncertain time in the world. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures, so if you get a hold of your Bible wherever you are at home, because I do want to read it through with you so you can see it for yourself. But when there's turbulence, when things are uncertain, when things are shifting and changing, it can produce a number of things, particularly inside a person. And things begin to come to the fore. And that's not a bad thing in itself, because I believe the Lord wants to touch that and bring some healing, and bring some release. So it's the adjustments he wants to bring. Um, And I feel in this season, that's something of what God's doing, just bringing some adjustments into the hearts of his people. And we don't just want to go around continuing to do things. We do need to do things, but we want to do things for the sake of doing it at the expense of what God wants to do inside of us. We don't want to look for the. We don't want to miss that. Many are looking for security. Many are looking for security. So we try and find it in many other things. And this COVID season will come to an end. There's no doubt about that. But when it does, we want to be in a stronger place. We want to be in a more prepared place. We want to be ready for what God is about to do. Because I honestly believe he's about to do something significant. Not that he's not doing things now. He is. We want to what I call be front-footed, not back-footed. So we want to stay in a place of faith, and we want to stay in a place of a victory mindset, because the victory has been won, and we want to remain in that place. And so we're going to go through the Word and look at what turbulence does in our lives, and then look at what we can do, what we can hold on to in a very turbulent time. So I'm just going to pray and thank Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you, your word is living. I thank you, your word is living bread. I thank you, your word is real. I thank you, your word can adjust us, adjust our mindsets, our attitudes. Thank you, your word can build us up, comfort, encourage, strengthen us. I thank you, your word is a double-edged sword. And so, Lord, it is your work at work in our hearts. And I thank you that your word produces the fruit that is necessary in and through our lives. So we thank you. Your word is reliable. It is firm. It's steadfast. It's, as I said, it's alive. It's active. We thank you in Jesus' name. All right. So get hold of your Bibles if you can, please. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I touched on this piece of scripture last time I preached, and this is where I want to start. Verse 16 says this. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all that we're busy going through, or all of them. So we fix our eyes. The New King James says, while we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, 
but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me read what I write. In the providence of God, affliction or turbulence serves a useful purpose for the believer. It forms and strengthens our character and prepares us for the glory that lies ahead. But affliction, trials, turbulence, tribulation, whatever you want to call it, serves us only while we keep our eyes on the invisible realm. If we lose sight of this and become preoccupied with the world of time and of the senses, we are no longer able to receive the benefits that affliction is intended to work out of us. It's a real encouragement. Go to James if you can. James chapter 1. And I will turn to it as well. After Hebrews, we get James. Verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. Consider it pure joy. I'll read it again. Consider it pure joy. I'll read it again. <laughs> Consider it not just joy, pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. So we can see again from this passage of Scripture what trials and tribulation begins to test what we truly believe. We can say certain things with our mouth, but when the rubber hits the road, that really brings to the surface what we are putting our trust in. And again, that's not a negative. It's just a reality, because then God meets us where we're at to help us through that and do something in our hearts. I'm always reminded of the story in the Bible with Peter. I think Peter brings a great comfort to many people, where Jesus told him he would deny him. And Peter did not lie when he said, I'll never deny you. He didn't think, let me lie about this. He meant it with all his heart. But the Lord knew it was inside him. The Lord knew what was inside Peter. And so he even said, I've prayed for you. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. And we know the story. That when Peter did deny the Lord Jesus three times, how he wept, wept, wept bitterly. Because something that was inside him that he was not aware began to come to the surface under pressure. And then we know the Lord comes back to him on the beach. He's just cooking fish. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times to undo the three denials. And he just says, follow me and feed my sheep. So sometimes there's stuff in us that only begins to surface when the pressure comes. Let's go to another scripture. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. It sounds like a, a, a negative message. It's not. It's a, I'm very excited. It's a wonderfully positive message. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And Dwayne did a wonderful preach last week on peace. I encourage you to go listen to it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
Again, talking about the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That word hope is a deep inner sense, a confidence, an eager anticipation of what's coming. It's like you're standing at the bus stop and you know the bus is coming, but you don't know exactly when. And you keep looking down the road. When's this bus coming? When's, and if you're a little bit like me, you get all impatient. When's this bus coming? There's an eager anticipation of it's coming. You know it's coming, but it hasn't arrived yet. And that's the similar sense what this word is. There's something coming. It's a confidence, an eager anticipation, this word. So we say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what it says in verse 2b. But then it says later on, and this hope will not disappoint us. So what is between the first one and the second one? What lies between verse 2b and verse 5, where it says, and hope does not disappoint us? What stands between? This stands between. But we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So that stands between this hope, this incredible anticipation we have. And I'm convinced there's something God is about to do. There's an anticipation in me that something's coming. I was in Chicago. I've shared the story one or two times, but I was, as I was preparing, I, I was in Chicago about three years ago. I had the privilege of preaching in two churches there. And the one weekend I did the one church, so I remained in Chicago to do the next church the following weekend. And uh, I went to stay at some people. They had a basement. Uh, they put me in a wonderful place, a wonderful couple. And on the Monday when I got there, I said, Lord, what do you want to do this week? What do you want to do in this church? What, what is in your heart for the? I mean, I had stuff, but I really wanted to hear from the Lord. And I felt the Lord tell me to go read about Moses when he went up and down the mountain. He was a fit man. He went up and down the mountain a couple of times. And as I began to read it, I saw how the glory of the Lord came upon the mountain first, where it says, and the trumpet started to blow, and bellows of smoke came, and the trumpet shook, and the mountain shook violently, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. And the Bible says, he inscribed with his finger, with the finger of God, he inscribed on tablets what Moses needed to take back to the people. And we know the story. Moses comes down and he sees what's happening to the Israelites. And he gets very upset and he throws his tablets on the ground and they break. And he deals with the situation. And then the Lord calls him back up the mountain. And this time when he's up the mountain 40 days and 40 nights without food or water, when he comes down, his face is shining. It's the glory of God that has rested upon this man, Moses. And the people could not look at it. That's what the Bible says. And as I was reading that, I started to weep. And I felt God say, go to 2 Corinthians 3. And in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about that very incident of Moses coming down the mountain where his face is shining. And it says, that glory, the way it came, faded. And it came powerfully. How much more the glory of the New Testament that never fades. And I, I felt God say, there's coming a move of his glory 
that we have no understanding of. There's a move of his glory that's coming that's significant. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know what it looks like. And that's what Paul is saying, the hope of the glory that's coming. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory, the anticipation of the manifest glory of God, not only coming to us, but through us to a dying world. And if you read Scripture, you'll see a number of times Isaiah experienced that glory. Isaiah chapter 6. And we know you can go home and read it. And we know what happened. Where these seraphs came and did, and they're flying around and they were covering their eyes and that. And, and the glory of the Lord. And Isaiah looked up and he saw the glory of the Lord and he said, Woe unto me. I'm a man. A sinful man. And we know the seraph came and touched his, his lips with a coal. And then said to Isaiah, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, I will go. He had a glimpse of it. In John chapter 2, where Jesus changes water into wine, if you go read it, clearly Jesus said, the Bible says this was done to reveal the glory of God. This was done to reveal the glory of God. In Matthew 17, when Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, that Peter refers to, even when he writes, we see the glory of God come down upon that mountain and the, the clothes of Jesus begins to shine. And Peter says an amazing statement. This is a good place to be. What an understatement of the century. <laughs> and then they fall down. And when they get back up, all that's standing is Jesus Christ. Because that's what will happen when the glory of God comes. You'll see one thing, one thing only, one person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. There's a coming glory of God, a significant coming on glory of God. If you want to know what the glory is about, I know it can manifest in smoke, clouds, light, or whatever. The Bible clearly tells us what the glory of God is in Exodus 34. And I'll quickly read it to you. I didn't write it down. When Moses said, show me your glory, the Lord says, okay, I'll show you my glory. As I pass by you, I'll let you see my glory. And in Exodus 34, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's the very essence and nature of God. So we can see from these scriptures that I've just read to you, it tells us what turbulence, trials, or affliction will work in us and work out of us. But while this happens, what do we do? What do we hang on to? What do we reach out and take hold of as everything is moving and blowing around and there's so much uncertainty and the turbulence has happened even inside my own heart or people's hearts? What do we take hold of that is steadfast, that we can cling to, that is not going to be moved during turbulent times? And that's the sense I had of people reaching out to take hold of something, to cling to it like a pole stuck in cement while the wind's blowing. I'll grab hold of this because this will hold me firm. Well, the Bible tells us three things, which in a sense is one. Firstly, in Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change people. He's still the same. When we read the Gospels, when he walked this earth, he's alive. He's still doing what he did when he walked on this earth. He just does it now through his people, his church. His virgin birth, his life, his death, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit is all about what Jesus has done for us. All of it. He does not change. He is rock solid. Cling to him. Hang on to him. Fix your eyes on him. Not on what's happening here. Continually fix your eyes on him. Another scripture in Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God with reverence. So we can see in this scripture, because in Hebrews 12 it talks about there's a shaking that's coming. Once more, shaking will come. Sorry, I just need a tissue. I'm falling on from Dwayne from last week. There's a shaking that's coming. But that which will not shake is the kingdom of God. And I've got good news for all of us. If you're a born-again believer, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. The kingdom of God is within you, and the kingdom of God will not shake. Everything else will shake, but the kingdom of God is unshakable, people. Unshakable. And the third thing is, in another book, another scripture in Hebrews, and if you can turn to Hebrews chapter 6, I haven't written it out. I want you to read it. Hebrews 6 says this. I love the scripture. I've been meditating on the scripture for quite a while. It's all about the promise that God made to Abram, and so consequently through his seed to us. And it says this in verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature, I think the New King James says the immutable purpose, the unchanging nature, the unchanging, it does not change, nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with the oath. God did so that by two unchangeable things, that's God in his word, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope, there's that word again, the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope, this incredible anticipation, this eager anticipation of what's coming as an anchor for the soul for the soul, for our emotions, for our mind, for our will, a soul, because the emotions can go all over. We have an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And he has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And we know when a boat is at sea and a storm's coming, they throw the anchor so it can dig into the sand at the bottom. And the, everything at the top's doing that, but the bottom is secure. This anchor didn't go down. This anchor went up into the heavens, people. Secure and steadfast. And so we can see it's Jesus Christ, it's the kingdom, and it's this, un, this unchanging nature of his purpose, the purpose of the gospel. All three of these can be summed up in one word, the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
That does not change. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is the primary agenda in the New Testament, not so much the church. The Lord loves the church, but the church is just a vehicle of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is the power of God, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. And it's not just initial salvation. It's ongoing sanctification, being transformed, being made anew. The gospel is the power of God. So when we focus on other things, when we focus on maybe the meetings that we can't have or the meetings we do have or even our gatherings, we subtly believe that is what changes people is the meetings. No, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Now, we need to meet, but it's the gospel. If the gospel is not presented at meetings, nothing will change. Some element of the gospel, it's the gospel. People are changed in meetings, but it is the gospel, not the meeting per se. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel draws people. It saves people into the kingdom, into a relationship with God. Then continues to transform people into the image of Christ. That's why in Galatians, Paul talks about the gospel. He says, it's my gospel. He had a revelation of this gospel. And he says later on in Galatians 4.19, My dear children, for whom I am in, again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Because it's the gospel that does that. It's not just to get us saved. It's the gospel that comes, not only to save, but to transform us. In 1 Corinthians 15, you can go to 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to these believers, and he talks about division, he talks about a false prophets, he talks about sexual immorality, he talks about uh, lawsuits, he talks about food, he talks about idols, he talks about freedom, he talks about gifts and love and orderly worship. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but I want to remind you of the gospel. The main part of what he's saying, you can go read it, the main focus is the gospel. And he brings them back to the gospel, the gospel that he preached. So when we, stop, when we stop leaning into the power of the gospel to change us and transform us, and we lean into programs, or we lean into meetings, or we lean even into the institution of the church to transform us, we tend to dilute the power of the gospel. It's the power of the gospel of the kingdom. It's not our programs or meetings. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel saves. It moves people into likeness of Christ. It is the power to transform, power to renew, power to bless us, power to give us power over, the, over sin, the power to strengthen us, the power to do what only the gospel can do in our lives and through our lives. I had a dream um, maybe three and a half, four years ago I don't dream often, and the Bible says all men dream dreams. So I can't be that old, so don't worry about this gray. It's just died. Um, <laughs> teasing. I had a dream about three or four years ago, just after we handed the church over to Clayton and um, the elders. And in this dream, I was traveling in a vehicle. It was like a, a minivan, and I was taking a whole lot of people to a prayer meeting. And we were all excited, and I parked the minivan, and everybody hopped out and ran up the road to where the meeting was. And I said, go ahead, guys, I'll meet you there. And I, I was locking the car, and I was locking this minivan, and I started to walk towards the meeting. And as I was about halfway there, I realized, oh, I've left my Bible behind. 
and it was in my briefcase with all my notes, my, some of my preaching notes, and some sermons that I prepared. And so I went back to find it. And when I got there, the vehicle was gone. And in my dream, I was distraught. Not so much for the vehicle that was gone, because my Bible and my notes were gone. <laughs> and I was saying, oh no, all that, that preparation and all the notes and whatever. And I didn't know what to do. And I couldn't, it was gone. It was like it was never there. So I decided to walk back to the meeting. There was a prayer meeting taking place. And on the way back, I found my Bible lying on the sidewalk. And I was so happy. I picked it up. It was actually this one. And I picked it up, and I was so happy. And when I got to the meeting, somebody I know well came running out of the meeting and said, Ken, where were you? Where were you? We had an incredible prayer meeting. And then the dream stopped. And over the next couple of days, I said, Lord, what is happening there? And I felt the Lord say to me, in the coming season, <laughs> in the coming season, the only thing that is going to get you through the coming season is the word and prayer. Everything else was gone. Everything, that's all that was left. I was going to a prayer meeting and the word. Why do I tell you this? Because I believe the word, prayer, and praise and worship are the means by which the gospel is ongoingly applied to our lives. Because the word, Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. When we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. When we praise and worship, we worship Jesus. That's the means by which the gospel is continually applied into our lives. So when the necessity of turbulent times come our way, hold on to, cling on to, focus on, meditate on, reflect on the gospel of the kingdom because that is unshakable. It will not shake and it will produce in us what God wants to do so he can prepare us for this glorious glory of God that is coming upon the earth. I want to pray for us, but before I pray for us, I just want to say a word, and then I want to read a scripture. I felt God drop in my heart to proclaim it, to declare it. I felt the Lord tell me that there's some people that are listening to this that you've struggled with something in your life, and even in this season where it's been a little bit more difficult, this thing has started to rise up again. And I felt you have been seeking the Lord about it. And you're going to go to bed one night. And the Lord is going to come to you in your sleep. And when you wake up the next morning, you're just going to say, something's changed. Because that is the grace of God coming to you. To adjust and to shift and to change something that needs to be changed. And I pray that those who it's for will take it and let faith arise in your heart to know that it's coming to happen. And the scripture I want to read is out of Isaiah, Isaiah 45. And this is the scripture I want to read. I read this, declare it prophetically. You, you heavens above, rain down righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth Open wide, 
Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness grow with it. I, the Lord, have created it. I'll read it again. You heavens above, rain down righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open up. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness grow with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the necessity of turbulent times and what you do inside of us. The preparation that takes place. But you shift and adjust for our good, for our benefit. Not only for that, for what's coming. So we can be positioned to embrace all that you're going to do into the future. It's the hope of the glory that is coming, Lord. That eager anticipation about what you're going to do. And I just declare even into every home that hears my voice. Every person that hears this voice. Not because it's me, Lord. Because of your word. Let your glory go. Let your peace go. Let the power of your word enter into homes. Let the power of your word enter into hearts. Let your power of your word enter into relationships, Lord. And bring the adjustments. Build faith. Bring correction, Lord. Strengthen, I pray. Preparing us for what's coming. Lord, let your presence, even now, go into the houses, the homes, the living rooms, the kitchens, the bedrooms, the passageways. Let your presence invade your homes, the homes of your people, Lord. Even our neighbors that don't know you. Let your presence go, Father. Even now. Even now, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you that you are unshakable. Your kingdom is unshakable, Lord. The unchanging nature of your purpose has not changed, Lord. We thank you for these things. Teach us to cling on, to hold on to, to retain the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let us preach the gospel to ourselves every single day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.